Welcome, church. Great to sing with you and pray and read the scriptures. It's been a wonderful morning already. Uh, kids, you are dismissed for Gospel Project. Thank you to those of you who will be leading them today. And uh, parents, as a reminder, last week we talked about parenting. So on the drive home today with your kid, ask them what they learned in Gospel Project today. They're faithfully on a three-year plan going through the whole narrative story of the Bible. So do follow up with your kids. Um, as, as Scott prayed, we have a special guest here today who many of you will already know. Um, we were planning today to finish our Proverbs a series by talking about conflict and our words, and so we get another week to do that. Next week, so have all the conflict you need to have this week, because next Sunday it's on conflict. All right, Rob, would you come? Um, Church on Mill is blessed to have several strategic relationships um, around the world with local churches who are doing great, uh, faithful work there. Rob Krauss is a dear friend. He's been here several times, and uh, Rob and his family are here with us worshiping today um, in town for unexpected trip and are um, encouraged uh, by your presence today. Thank you for being willing to come preach with us, brother. Thanks, Chuck. It's good to see all of you here. As Chuck mentioned, it is an unexpected trip. Um, you'll usually see me around these parts. If um, Well, we had a, a funeral. We lost our, my mother-in-law uh, last week. and um, Or uh, you'll see me around here if I'm really needing good Mexican food. <laughs> That's another reason <laughs> to come in and see you. Um, but I, just, I want to just thank the Lord for a good and godly mother-in-law. Um, her name is Judy. She lived here in Ahwatukee uh, for the last 30-some years. And um, uh, she was always a support and prayer for us over the last 20 years. We're celebrating our 20th year outside of, of being out of Arizona and overseas. And eight, 18 at the church where we are now. And she always prayed for us. And, you know, uh, I was the guy who took her daughter far, far away and, and her grandchildren. And she ached, you know, to see them and grow up with them, but um, she never, um, she never guilted us for that. She never made us feel bad, and never um, talked about when are you coming back, when are you coming back to make it even harder for us being there. She knew that was kind of our mission in our life, and so we came back and we just remember all these great and fond memories that we have uh, with um, with the family, and. Um, my, my mother-in-law had diabetes, which, you know, leads to a chain reaction of a lot of problems physically. And we knew that her eyesight was getting bad, and, and we knew it by one time I received a, a, a birthday card from her uh, that said, uh, you're the greatest sister a gal could ever have. <laughs> Happy birthday, Rob. And um, <laughs> I realized it's getting bad <laughs> back in Arizona. <laughs> And uh, so some people say it's a thought that counts. That's not a thought I want that counts, you know. <laughs> I'm happy being a guy, very used to it. And uh, so it's good. Back in March, you guys uh, sent uh, Chuck, Allison, and Superman Kent uh, to us over there. And they hung out with us into our, in our cities and with some of our guys. A couple of summers back, when I was here with you, I started to talk to you about um, adopting these ministries and these guys that are starting to raise their hands for planting churches with us after all these years. And through the work uh, with, um, especially with uh, Pastor Chuck and Tad, the guys who started to pray with us and adopt 
uh, these ministries. And so in, in coming out and your support to get behind some of our brothers, you have become a champion church for us in Arizona. You're helping to raise awareness. And it's hard here in Arizona uh, because you're so geographically isolated from the rest of the world. I, God sat on this land and created the rest of the world around it. That's why it's all desert. Okay? And so nothing happens. Everything that happens here is all that exists often. Right? And, and so it's great to have a church. Because of Jesus, listen, uh, your church is lifting its eyes to the field uh, that's afar. And so you're raising awareness and you're praying for us. And God's answering your prayers. And these guys are coming in every single week with more and more ministry opportunities. So in the place that you've already invested in, the city hall in one city gave them a park to restore. And then in another place, they gave them a community center all in the last two weeks to have and use. And these are guys that you put investment in to cover two months each of their work for their lives, their families uh, that are indigenous there that are raising their hands uh, to, to work and go along. It has an impact. You are keeping our brothers uh, there. So I just I want to thank you, Church on Mill, and I want to say keep praying, keep raising awareness, keep your eyes up to the fields, okay? Keep thinking of us. It's a great way to think of us because I saw on the schedule that you're, your worship leader here is Austin Krause. <laughs> Groovy. So good. <laughs> and I, I looked at that and I said, who's Austin Krause? And he said, same last name and everything. And I'm like, wow, I love, I love me a Krausified church, you know? <laughs> so you guys are really on it. Way to go, Chuck and Ted. Best of friends. Yes. All right, well, let's look at God's word. Um, that doesn't count. Those, those minutes don't count <laughs> so far. Let's look at God's word. Genesis 4. And thank you again, Chuck, for the opportunity to minister with the, with the church family here today. All right. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, which is a play on words. It says right here, meaning I have gotten. Cain is the words for I have gotten. And in this case, she said, I have gotten me a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore uh, his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. And Cain, a worker of the ground in this familiar story, you know, in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the, of, of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And 
When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and then from your face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, That is not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord then put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. This is God's word to us this morning. I want you to take a look back at, and think back in the, the, uh, at the fall, the garden, the beginning. God had just promised, and Adam and Eve were just at the, on the heels or the end of being cast out of the garden, of losing paradise. And um, the shock and the terrors uh, that would go with that. And so I can imagine Eve in her enthusiasm saying, God has just promised us that he would send a son, you know, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, a son would come and would get us back into paradise. Now that's true, but she got herself a son and she named it, I got one, I got my seed. What she got was a murderer. And it's interesting to see how Satan, as he worked on the parents, quickly moves to the children. He doesn't waste time as he has, if you will, worked to ruin their lives and call out uh, rebellion in their own hearts. He then magnifies in that spirit of rebellion in the hearts of his own, uh, of, of the children. And so she was, um, she's excited. <laughs> she's excited to receive a son. And then she has another son of whom much is not said. In fact, he doesn't even say anything the entire passage. And when we look at it, the only time he ever speaks is after he's dead. It's true. And um, then we have that famous phrase that, that Cain asks, you know, when God comes to him and says, hey, where's your brother? And he's going to lie to God. And he's like, am I my brother's keeper? We'll talk about that in a second. And there's, this, that, there's, that in, there's that indifference and there's that hatred and there's that nature. And Cain exhibits immediately what is called the Adamic nature or the nature of being bound to his father, his fallen father. In Italy, when we share it with people, and because of Roman Catholicism, and many of them are post-Catholic, as we visit with them, they will often be surprised that there is somebody before them that has determined their fate. In fact, they're scandalized by that. And what I mean by that simply is as you start to share with them that the problem that we have in humanity is humanity. It's our nature. Their issue and their scandal, being scandalized is saying, I'm a good person. I was born good. I just make occasional mistakes. And if I'm sincere in my culture, then God must accept me. Because God's a God of universal love. But when you tell them, no, we are determined, we are bound, inextricably bound to Adam, and we are seeds of Adam and Eve, conflict arises. So I'm going to just go right into your Proverbs stuff. You know, you might not even have to preach on it next week on Mother's Day. 
<laughs> thought of that. <laughs> Bring your moms. <laughs> I brought mine. <laughs> um, you're inextricably bound, and they are shocked by that. In fact, there's great resistance to say, I determine my own destiny. I tell God what he accepts and what he doesn't. That's our nature. And they are shocked and scandalized that somebody before my birth could have decided who I am, what I am, and what I deserve. And we really get pushback from them. But I want to tell you, our solution and aspect is somebody, God, if you will, through Christ also provided the solution before you were born. And there is, there is not a, uh, uh, just a mono-fatalistic uh, destiny in Adam. You are bound inextricably of your own efforts, but God provides the way through Christ. He provides the solution for you in Christ. And in that, um, no more Cain. <laughs> Cain, in the passage that we read here, has a life of anti-community. And we see on the basis that there is uh, immediately the effects of the fall begin to drive people apart. In this case, literally, to kill a family member, to kill a brother in the end. And all throughout history, there is a challenge to God and a driving against community. And all throughout the Bible story, and this is the glory of the Bible, God is proceeding all the way to the end when we will be seated around in full community at the marriage supper of the Lamb, celebrating the good work of God. So the Bible is driving against our humanity in our nature. Our nature is to drive against, against community, if you will, God-centered people, a new people around God, and that and God's nature in the way that he writes scripture is to bring us back together uh, in Christ. So immediately we see this effect in Cain. Watch. He was very indifferent and he was very self-centered. Didn't care about what Abel, was, uh, uh, what Abel had done in worship. Didn't care about God's response to Abel's um, sacrifice. But he was also quite selfish because he worked so hard to um, defend himself and to say it was enough. He was superficial in his approach to God. All truth, all truth and all worship, and worship, in fact, is about bringing truth to the one from whom it comes, bringing it back to God. And immediately Cain says, no, I'm not going to do that. This is the effect of sin. He was angry, superficial, why was Cain angry? The Bible says that it's because Abel did righteous acts. It's because he thinks he's bigger than his own sin. And God says, no, that sin is right there, ready at the door. I think the door there is the door of his own life and his own nature. It's crouched and ready to attack when he doesn't expect it. And that's, that's true of us. He thinks he's bigger than that. He doesn't care for his brother. The very first action is to destroy the family that God had given to him. Not to 
not to strengthen or learn from the family, not to bless the family, but to destroy it, not to bring a family into reconciliation with God and to call upon the name of God with a brother, instead to destroy the brother who called upon the name of God, to hate him, to indifferently and openly reject the design of God for community and for family and people. So God asks him, where is your brother? It's interesting that to Cain's father, Adam, God asks him, where are you? Christians in life are similar in this way. Hmm. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Similar to Adam, he has a, he's like his dad. Apples don't fall far from trees. And he points and says, it's the woman you gave me. In this case, he just kind of turns it a bit and says, do I have to watch out for my brother? <laughs> Eve thinks he's the promised seed, and Cain stands before God and says, you, God, must conform to me. Now look at God's punishment in the story. He drives him out. In verse 14, Cain cries, you've driven me today from the ground from your face I will be hidden, a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And in this, um, he's, a, he's a worker of the land, isn't he? This is his job. This is his identity. This is his fulfillment. And God says, the land will be against you. Because you have poured the blood of your brother into that land, you've cursed it. And as a result, the land will fight you. And I will make sure that, that happens. And here's what, here's what will happen when you destroy community. You will go out and you will not have it. So you will be a wanderer and you will be a fugitive. And you cannot settle. And then at the end of the story, in this case, at least to verse 17, we find he has a son. He settles and builds a city. And then he names the city after his son, which is basically saying, I'll build a community in my own image. If God's not going to give it to me, I'll demand it for myself. And he builds that community, and generations later, we come to the Tower of Babel, which basically is a rising up of man to hunt God and deal with the God of the heavens so we can be both God on earth and God in heaven. And so Cain is, is experiencing, if you will, the depths of his sin, and he goes out and he builds what God said not to. God's punishment is wandering, and Cain's rebellion is to build that city, but whatever Cain was doing, we, friends, as humanity, were not made for that. Instead, in our lives, we find we often imitate him. And the first people to pay the price of that imitation of having Cain in us, if you will, will be the brothers and sisters and the people closest to us. And it will happen where gifts are not used, sacrifice for others is rare, selfishness abounds, consumerism abounds, materialism is about me, and care is empty of gospel goodness. But you can't have Cain without contrasting it a bit with Abel. Nabal means, his word Abel means to breath or vapor. And so it's like, in the way the story is written, he only gets just a small part. He doesn't get a speaking part. It's very quick, and it's just a vapor in the air, a breath, as it were. A breath of righteousness. 
What, is it Abel that speaks? No, it's his righteousness that speaks. Righteousness is not morality. And we often get confused with that, friends. Righteousness is doing what pleases God. Now, if we're tied to Adam, we can't do. The Bible says we are un, unable to do. We have total inability, as the doctrine would say. We are unable to please God even with our best of works. Okay? But in Christ, every work, even though it be a vapor of breath, is a pleasure, a pleasure of worship. His righteousness speaks for him. It's interesting that in Genesis 4, the first mention of the word blood is found in this passage. Even though God in Genesis 3 had killed an animal and covered Adam and Eve with its skin, he waits until Genesis 4 to speak about blood. And the interesting thing is it is not singular, it's in plural. So when God says it, he says, the voice of the bloods of Abel cries out from the ground. Why? Because when the Bible looks at someone who is murdered or injustice or unrighteousness is done, it, Cain did not just kill Abel, Cain killed generations of families. Cain killed voices by the thousands throughout history. And God puts it in the present. He says, the voices or the bloods are crying to me from the ground perpetually. Abel's voice cries from the ground. <laughs> and this is our big problem. There is Cain in all of us. We're not stronger than our sin. And it will show up in the way that we are indifferent and ignore our brothers and sisters and family and, and the truth of God and worship. <laughs> Therefore, friends, we will always naturally resist community. But, friends, Jesus' blood avenges Abel's to be a community of brother keepers. As his voice cries from the ground, he cries day after day, is there anyone who cares for me? Year after year, month after month, the bloods accumulate. Generation after generation, cry to God and ask, is there justice? Is there hope? And is there truth for me and, and a family for me? And the voice of heaven cries back. This is the justice behind the scenes of our world and our life. Heaven cries back to humanity and says, yes, yes, your life, although it's like a vapor, matters deeply to me. It's here, it's gone, but it has great value to God. Yes, cries God. And God then sends the one, the one brother who answers the weeping. And all of the lost families and all of the lost communities. One who cares perfectly with his very own blood. One who has also suffered at the hands of Cain for doing right. But you see, it's his blood. It's the one, it's Jesus' blood that when it cries out, it doesn't just cry from the earth, but it cries out from heaven. Justice is done. It doesn't just cry out for justice as Abel's blood does. 
as Hebrews 11 tells us, but rather it cries out as justice for each of us. The good news of the gospel is no more Cain for Tempe. No more Cain for church on mill people. There's no more Cain for you and me. We don't live by that raging rule anymore. That's good news. Let me see if I can illustrate how. Jesus steps in for Abel, and he gives him his breath back. Jesus is the greater Abel, cut off in his prime. But he gives Abel his breath back forever. Righteousness, when done, pleasure to God, worship when done, is never, ever forgotten by God. And he comes in and he gives his followers, each one of you and me, he gives us our breath back forever and ever. And friends, he makes a new family of new bloods. And they're made of his very own. For he's the more righteous able. In this life, those who have, if you will, the bloods of the greater Abel, those who are in Christ find themselves caring for each other and caring earnestly. It's the Cain opposite story. In the gospel of joy and forgiveness, we experience, even in the face of correction with one another, we experience the hope, the truth, and the life of that blood that Jesus gave. Hebrews 11.4 says, by faith, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still is speaking now. It's perpetual. Now, why did he offer a greater, a more acceptable sacrifice? It's not just, it's not only that Cain's sacrifice was bloodless or without blood. It's the way that Cain worshipped. You see, the way that the scripture represents it in Genesis 4 is that Abel brought of the first fruits of his flock. That, that's terminology for the best of his life. For the best that he could pr produce and the most that he would enjoy and the finest tasting of the meat and the nicest of the wool of everything from his hand and the time and the effort went into that one thing he gave to God and said, it's all yours. It's of this best. But then the scriptures render it that when Cain gave, he gave of his fruits. He picked and selected what was what he felt obligatory to give to God. Have you ever felt that in worship? It's kind of the checkbox mentality. Okay, got to get that done. Got to get that done. But is it, is it of the kind of gospel worship that is so alive and thriving that says, it's for my brothers and it's for the Lord, the best for them. Friends, yes, in worship, if you truly say, yes, I love Jesus, I know Jesus, then heaven calls and says, yes, you are your brother's keepers. And it's all beautiful. 
And it's all worship. It's all good. Though Abel died, by faith he still speaks. His story, his righteousness still cries out. Now here's a faith lesson in following Jesus. To follow Jesus then with our whole hearts, it will not permit us to walk away from community, to ignore community. It will not permit us to remain in, I'm going to kind of preach to the choir or to the music team, how's that? <laughs> it will not allow us to just attend church and remain indifferent to all of our brothers and sisters in our church and our community. Chuck told me to say that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it won't permit us to walk away from community. It won't permit us to put our agendas higher than people. Let's repeat that one. It won't permit us to put our things to do, our tasks, higher than the value of the people whom God has called us to minister to and with. Sin crouches at the door and says, oh, but they need so much. That person is just so needy. Or that person is annoying. Or that person is, is not dependable. That's, what, that's sin crouching at the door. Sin crouching at the door is to judge, to criticize, to cut off my brother from the family of God. That's Cain-like. That dominates us, and it's quick, and it's easy, and it's so attacking, and it's from within. Friends, the battle is for our worship. Cain's problem was a worship problem at its heart and at its core. Cain gives some fruits to God. But when you give some fruits, when he gave some fruits, he revealed his indifference, didn't he? He revealed that indifference then led to hatred, and then led to a life devoted to himself, cut off from his community, and then it led to a life that was devoted to the destruction of God's family. And it was one generation. It was the kids of the couple that walked with God morning and evening in the garden. And now their offspring is devoted to destroying the very design of humanity in glorious family, loving one another around God, in His truth, and in His presence. Now look at it. If Cain is saying to us, hey, am I my brother's keeper, and that's Cain, and he's an evil hater, what is the answer of the community of the greater Abel? It's, yes, I am my brother's keeper. We all belong to each other. The Apostle Paul uses those words in Romans 12. In Romans 15, in verse 3, he says, You have suffered the reproaches, and he quotes David, All of the reproaches that have fallen on you have fallen on me. Therefore, any, any of the struggles, any of the trials that we have in community, any pushback is not to be recompensed with hatred. It is to go to the cross. It is Jesus-centered. We all need each other because we belong to each other, because we are part of, our, of the very own blood of Jesus and the cross. So the attitude is not, well, I don't feel like it. 
serving my brother. Our attitude should not be that way. I don't feel like being a part of the church community. The attitude is, I can't wait for it. I can't wait to see what God will do. We shouldn't have the attitude of, well, what, is it, what am I going to get from this by going and attending or participating, right? What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? Like, like what we look for in a good movie. I want the entertainment factor. I want to think or enjoy it or the action. What do I get out of it? Entertain me. The attitude is I can't wait to see what God is doing in my bloods and what I can be a part of and how he's using me too. And the Apostle John picks up on the very same theme of this story in his first letter to the church of 1 John 3. He highlights Cain as a bad example. Right in the middle of the section on love your brothers. He pulls up Cain. It's an interesting thing that John is also talking about righteousness in the same action. So, or excuse me, in the same section. So we know that loving your brothers and righteousness are now connected. Community and worship are connected. Loving God and caring for others are connected. And isn't that what Jesus said? We are called to love God and love others as the two most greatest commands. But in John 3, it says, don't be surprised that the world hates you for doing right. Here's an intricate key to our hearts. Does my heart, here's a question to reflect on. Does my heart long for the things of God or does it have the same passions as Cain? And this kind of question tells us where, are, where we are looking for good news outside of Jesus and outside of his community. Now John tells us that all Christians are to avoid completely the model of Cain. So, but we know deep down in, we've all been caned. There's Cain in us. What do I do about that? When I taught, I taught this message a couple months back, it, was, it resonated with our church family, but there were a few people that came up to me afterward and they said, Oh, I just really, um, I just know I, there's just a lot of Cain in me. And I don't necessarily want you to go away thinking that because what that will do is that will invoke your willpower. And you'll look at that and you'll say, I've, I've just got to keep fighting this and just kind of will yourself to get the Cain out of you, as it were. That's not the case. That's not what I want you to go away from. What I want you to see is that the good news is God has already attacked the Cain back that's in us. We're born in Adam. We carry the likeness of Cain. And Jesus came and attacked, if you will, in vengeance that Cain likeness to give us the likeness of Abel. God has attacked our inhumanity by attacking the humanity of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, we often look at it as we were attacking him, and we were, and God allowed us to attack and to kill our greatest brother all over again. All of humanity did. Yes, that's true. But the greater truth is that it was God attacking us because Jesus was victorious. The cross is a sign of glory, and the cross is the sign of victory, and Cain gets killed there for us. It's the answer to the crying out of the bloods of Abel. T.F. Torrance was a great Scottish theologian in the 1900s, and he said this. 
And so the cross, with all of its incredible meekness and patience and compassion, is no deed of passive and beautiful heroism, simply but the most potent and aggressive deed that heaven and earth have ever known against itself. It is, the cross is, the attack of God's holy love upon the inhumanity of man and the tyranny of evil within us. It is against all of the piled up contradiction of sin that resides within us. And praise God that God reached down, the Father reached down from heaven, and he didn't attack the Cain in you, yeah? Isn't that good news? We deserved to be, if you will, risen up against and repaid for the Cain, the murderous Cain in each of us, and yet God in his compassionate love says, I will attack the inhumanity in all of you humans, and I will not abandon you, and I will bind myself to you, and I will answer the cry of the bloods of Abel, I will call a new family to my being. I will design a new hope for you. I will allow you to breathe breaths of righteousness one to another to be a glorious people of God. And I'm going to do it by attacking my very own son and killing him in your place who rises up today and look at that cross. His story still speaks. His story still speaks. His blood calls out for us. It's good news. I was attacked by God through Jesus. That's good news. I got uncaned. <laughs> Jesus' son is victorious. The beautiful one is made ugly that we might become beautiful in his sight. And that's why every worship action friends every action when you think of your church and you think of the nations and you think of our lands and you think of your spouse and your children and your and, and even of the responses in the gospel and you're dealing with your own anger your own lust your own passions your own craving your own hatreds you're dealing with each of those and you're applying the gospel and you're putting gospel light into each of these dark caned corners of your life in every single case, the gospel must be cruciformed because that's where it happened. You have to bring those dark corners to the cross. The cross has to light those areas. Otherwise, as Paul says, why would you go back and be Cain all over again? Every action of righteousness is cruciformed. It looks like the cross. It looks like Jesus. It speaks of Jesus. It cries out for Jesus. And that's power. Friends, the cross is kind of the upside down story of what true power really is. The cross is empty. It is the power for you and me now to bless. Not to kill. Not to ignore. Not to be indifferent. Not to hate, but to love. There is no power on this earth that can teach us and compel us to love the cross because I'm so I'm so used to being Cain there's no power so beautiful so wonderful but the cross 
And it teaches me to do what? To bless and bless and bless. So allow the voice of the greater Abel to cry to your heart all the time. To teach you, teach you and me to bless, to be channels from heaven to this earth. Starting with your church family. Amen? Yeah? Starting with each and every one of us. Allow us to be channels. I'm crying out to you. Why? Because it's for God's people and His church. <laughs> the power to bless is glorious. And friends here in Arizona, you will have so many voices crying to you. The TVs are on everywhere. I, I came back uh, ten, 10 months ago, I was back here, and I came back now and there's like, like these TVs are multiplying like bunnies out here or something. There's televisions everywhere. Voices, sports casters, radio, you know, talk show hosts, newscasters, voices, 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 voices. Your heart will be bombarded and overwhelmed and flooded with voice after voice after voice. But there's one voice crying out, <laughs> calling to you saying, I've given you the power. Now bless. And you have to, you have to, <laughs> you have to fight and say, that's the one I worship. There's the voice I worship. That's the one that calls to me. I respond to that one because I love him. And I do it by loving others. So friends, I'm not just trying, saying to you, try harder to get into community. I'm actually saying, look deep down inside and find out where it is and why it is that you don't care for others. You might be very enriched and blessed by your Christian brothers, sisters, and that's great. But how did Jesus change you to become that way? How is he working his good news in you and through you in church on mill. We need to commit to fresh worship and to our community. So let's ask God together now to apply this gospel to our heart. And if Jesus loves me so much to make me his brother, Lord God, please encourage us to find passion to love him by caring for my brothers. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for the brothers and sisters here, our friends in Church on Mill. Through a simple action here as we look at this, Father, I just see how your heart is, your heart breathes and lives and pursues your bride, your people. You sing over us, you love us, and any simple breath of worship you accept and are pleased with. Worship that is sincere and true and honest. Worship that says yes to Jesus and no to all else. And so I want to pray a word of encouragement and challenge that we are each other's brothers, brother keepers here, sister keepers. That you are designing a family like no other families here in the area of Tempe. In each of the gospel teaching churches, and here at Church on Mill, you've called a family together to be the family of God that Cain was not willing to be. Adam and Eve were not willing to be. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would increase the fervency and the love and say thank you so much. Otherwise, I would be bound to Cain forever and in that spirit and driving against you. But instead, I humbly worship and love you in return. 
And I pray that that spirit would be fervent and that that spirit would grow and that we would learn to gospel each other every single day. That there would be the power to bless and that so many others would look and say, I've never tasted family. I've never tasted this kind of church. And may the love of Jesus abound in our, in the, our church together here. Thank you for their love out to the field. Thank you for their love for one another. Thank you for your love for us. And I pray if there is anyone in the room that's just exploring or looking at Christianity, that you would see God comes in and he changes your entire nature. And he does that through good news on the cross. You can love him today. And he opens and calls out to you and cries out to you, I am justice for you. And I pray for you as Christians. May God richly bless each of you to be a blessing to the nations. Hallelujah. Amen.